It's fantastic to see you guys. You guys can be seated into your plastic chair. It's good to see you guys. I'm thankful for fall. I'm thankful to be here today. I hope you guys are doing well. It's a beautiful weekend weather-wise, and I know that God's going to do something in us today. And so this felt really in that just the moment of worship that we were experiencing together that God was. It was breaking our hearts, opening us up to what He wants to share to us today. And, and I just come humbly just to um, just hopefully um, just bring the Lord's Word in a way that uh, we could all receive and be beneficial to our life. If you've this is your first time at Fathom. I, I pray that this is a welcome home moment for you, a place where you can uh, not only encounter God and grow in your relationship and your faith with Him, but a place in which you can grow in family too. Uh, you know, just that noise that I just heard a moment ago, just hugging one another, speaking encouragement to one another is, uh, is a beautiful thing in the Lord's ears and heart, and so I'm excited about that. Uh, a few weeks ago, we started on a, a new journey, a new leg of our journey called The Tension is Good, and we started off by looking at something that's so just foundational to our faith and the, the idea of faith and works that you can't really have one or the other. And, and sometimes within Scripture, if we find, well, we, we like to pick and choose Scriptures that we want to follow and we kind of build theology around a certain Scripture. But sometimes there's, the Scriptures actually clarify one another and there's a tension there that's not meant to be solved but it's a tension that we're, we're to live in. and that, In fact, the tension's good because it points us to the Lord, and through that, He purifies our motives and directs our steps. That's why the tension's good. And so we start off looking at faith and works, and then we, we follow that up last week with well, one of my kind of favorite ideas is just that this line that we seem to draw in the, in the sand between what's spiritual and what's practical and the, the line's not intended to be there. God never put that line there, but we do. And in fact, the things that we think are, are just practical matters of life have sometimes very intense spiritual implications. And the things that we just think are lofty spiritual things that have no practical application actually have great practical application. And today we're going to go a step further into this journey with one, and so again, the past two have been a little bit on the personal level. Maybe the first one was a little theological, last one was very personal in our daily life, our different tensions that we're living with in the practical and spiritual. And then this week is really going to kind of be a, a group talk I, to us as the church and like what each of us, not just individualistically, but communally, what we've, we're called to and the purpose that we have, the mission that we have, and what it looks like to live a life as a follower of Jesus uh, just to tell you a little bit about my story, uh, I'm a, a pastor's kid. I wasn't a pastor's kid when I was younger. I was a butcher's kid. And my dad was just faithfully serving in the church and slowly got more and more involved, wanted to follow the call of God in his life, and just opened up a door for him to serve on staff at a church. And um, so I kind of have that PK life, but I also have non-PK life too. And uh, I, I was running from the call of God on my life and doing my best, so I, I took off thinking I was going to do music in Tennessee. And uh, God just would not let me get away from the call he put on my life and, and slowly but surely surrendered just my life to what he wanted me to do. And um, throughout this time, like there's been this kind of unwritten tension, but sometimes it, I believe it's very much talked about. It's felt not just in a pastoral realm, but very much in just folks that care about the church, folks that want the church to grow, that want the best for the church, have certain beliefs about theology. And I think there's there's this tension here in that sometimes we look at big, between big church and small church mentality, and, and sometimes in the small church mentality, we can look at the big church and be like, oh, they sold their soul to the devil, 
and that's why they're big. Sometimes we have this mentality of like they're, they're sellouts, um, and, and, and we kind of have this holier-than-thou in a small mentality. We're doing things the right way, so that's why we're small, and it's just kind of a little bit boggling um, the, the, the way that goes. But then there's the other side of that, too, where we look you know, from maybe a larger church perspective and look down on what God's doing in the small scenario as if it doesn't matter. Um, but the truth of the matter is that God's called us to all different things in all different realms, and God's in it all. He's in it all, and he's working to purify his will in each one of us, and not to say um, that there's small churches that aren't doing the Lord's will, and there's large churches that have sold their soul to the devil. I don't know if that's the case, but, you know, not to say that those aren't the case, but many times we just kind of paint with a broad stroke, and and that's not necessarily the right thing. And so today, the tension I want to talk about is the call as believers for us to to be both deep and to focus wide, and and to do that, I I really want to look at a, a text today. Um, at two different texts in Scripture that we can kind of get different views about the Lord's will in both depth and width of what He wants in the church. When I say wide, I mean growth and expanding and all of those type of things. When I talk about depth, I'm talking about spiritual maturity. And that God, it's not a matter of choosing one or the other, but God wants both. God wants both. That's His heart. And so we'll look at this. And I'm believing that if you're here, you're wanting to grow in your relationship with Christ. You're wanting to fulfill the call that He has on your life. And so as we go in together, let's keep that at the forefront. That we, we, We're here because we want to do this. We want to fulfill the, the Lord's will in our life, fulfill His purposes, the mission that He's called us to. And we as a church, we want to be a place... Uh, where we embrace both urgency of the mission that God's given us, but also rest in the purpose and who we are. There's urgency and rest. There's quality and quantity. It's not a matter of choosing one or the other. It's a matter of both and. That's God's heart. So let's look at two texts to kind of wet our whistle, wade into the shallow end. Then we're going to jump into the deep end in Luke chapter 5 and really uh, talk about this uh, on our level. Um, 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. I want to talk on that second sentence, but just this idea of we look sometimes like, God, why are you waiting? Why are you waiting? How we understand slowness, but sometimes the Lord's probably just being patient with us and waiting for us to get the big picture sometimes. So if you're just there, that's a little extra for you. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So there's two things we've got to, I think, highlight here is, first, the Lord's heart is that no one would perish. That's the Lord's heart. He doesn't want anybody to perish, but that everyone would come to, um, uh, come to repentance. So there's a, a statement of God's heart that everyone um, would come to repentance, no one would perish, but there's also the truth of the matter is that God can't operate outside of his justness. He, he can't operate outside of his holiness. He can't. He, that is who he is. He is holy. He is just. And if we want to be in relationship with him, the only way for us to have a relationship with him is, is to, you can't be unholy and, so the only, uh, and have a relationship with a holy God. It's through Jesus. It's the way we're made holy. It's the way we're made justified. Justification. So that's what it's saying here. It's, it's declaring his heart that he wants everyone to be saved. But there's a process. There's no, there's no way for us to access the Father except for, through Jesus. For us to come to repentance and confess our sins through, uh, in, in our faith in Jesus Christ. So there's this statement here, but we have this understanding the Lord's heart is wit. Is, is that everyone would be saved. That's his heart, but there's the truth of the matter of the, his justness and the faith 
uh, um, through repentance here, uh, or repentance through faith, whichever way you want to word it, um, must be had. So let's look at, at the second text, Matthew chapter 7, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And we see a different type of idea here from Jesus to a certain degree. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. So what it will be tempted to do is to pick one idea or the other, as opposed to remembering that there's a, a tension here that the Lord wants all to be saved, but the reality of the fact is that the gate is kind of narrow. It's not the super wide thing, and only a few find it. Like, I, I'm thankful that, you know, a thousand days to us is just a day to the Lord, because I hope that there's more than a few, because there's a lot more people in here than a few. So, um, I, I don't know what that looks like. That's the Lord's deal. But ultimately, I, I think we find this tension here of the, the kind of the, the wit that is in God's heart, but the, the mindset and the, the truth of the matter is that it's a narrow thing and that there's a real depth to our faith in Jesus Christ and what that really looks like in our life. And so as we take this tension, we've been doing this the past few weeks of looking at parables and stories from Jesus because I believe that Jesus is perfect theology and he teaches in a very practical and spiritual way that this tension can really hit home. And so we're going to turn to Luke chapter 5. Last week we were in Luke chapter 16. This time, which Jesus was teaching on the parable of the shrewd manager, and this week we're going to really the beginning of his journey. He had just been tested in the wilderness in chapter 4, and here in chapter 5, we're going to find that, that Jesus is going out to recruit his team to uh, his affection, his, his team of people that are going to help share in his mission and help his mission to go forward. And so let's go, we're going to look at the first 11 verses. And if uh, you're familiar with how I usually do this, we kind of just walk our way through the scriptures pretty slowly. So uh, don't, don't rush ahead. Uh, one day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. Jesus has a crowd already and he just got started. Like he's just getting started ministering and he has a crowd around him. Verse 2. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. So this immediately tells us um, that it's probably the end of the day for the fishermen, which end of the day is not five o'clock clocking out. It's usually like pretty early in the day because they get started either at night or very early in the morning and they're done well before lunch, like in fishing, like in, in this area. So they're done pretty early in the day. Jesus is out kind of getting the day started, starting ministry. He, and he, he's going to move himself, get on, onto a boat here in just a second. But they're washing their nets. It's a normal end of the day work. Don't you have like a checkout list, things you have to do before you leave the office, shut her down. That's exactly what they're doing. They would mend the nets for the next day so they could just go right at it. Nobody wants to be mending nets at four o'clock in the morning or two o'clock in the morning. They're getting that done. They're washing, cleaning all the fish guts off of the things and getting it ready for tomorrow. So that kind of tells us a lot here. And also, fishermen um, that we're going to be talking about here, Simon, uh, Peter, James, and John, they were commercial fishermen. Uh, they didn't make a ton of money. They were actually working probably for a landowner, someone that had some wealth, and they were working for them, and they made just a small chunk of change out of the whole deal, um, or, or some kind of royal person that was owning uh, the boats and, and kind of putting them to work. Uh, verse 3, so Jesus got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. These guys are fishermen. End of the day, what are you ready to do? 
go home. Jesus, I love the idea here that Jesus does not ask to get in the boat. Like, hey man, can I borrow your boat for a minute? He, no, he just got into one of the boats. I love the, like this idea of Jesus like, nope, I'm getting in your boat, dude. Like he's just going with it and like, hey man, that's my boat. I'm going home. And he's like, no, like you're not. <laughs> like, I've got different plans. And so I think as we get in here, I want to talk kind of beginning to, to get into this text here about what it looks like to have purpose that's both deep and wide. That our purpose is deep and wide. Many times we can have this introverted purpose of like, I have this depth of thinking and, and really this spiritual journey, but there's never this wit, there's never this action, this connection that it's expand, we're expanding in our influence because of this purpose that God's given us. And we all have a purpose. Again, I'm not necessarily talking about very specific purposes. We can talk about that too. But the general purpose we have as, as children of God to to return our hearts and, and lives and gifts back to the Father because that's where they came from. So our, pur- our purpose is deep and, and wide, and so many times we can get caught up in our profession and miss our purpose, and I think that's what could have happened here for the disciples. End of the day, ready to clock out, ready to go home, and Jesus just gets into the boat. And, and some of us today that are really caught up in our profession, and that's a great thing. I'm going to talk to you in just a second about how purpose in profession is a major thing. It's a big part of the church being who the church is. It's because you have influence that I don't have. We'll talk about that here in just a second. But we get so caught up in our profession times that we, we miss or we forget about our purpose. Like, what if that would have happened for Simon Peter here? Like, no, dude, get out of my boat. I'm going home. Like, change the story of the church because Jesus would look to him and be like, on you, I'm going to build my church. Like, we're here because he didn't say, get out of my boat, dude, I'm going home. <laughs> Um, like just kind of wrap our brains up. So we get caught up in our profession. So let me give you just a few things on like how to not miss our purpose. Because I think everyone in here would agree, God, whatever you got for I don't want to miss the purpose you have for me. Let me give you three quick things. Just how to not miss your purpose going about in life. The first thing is start your day the right way. That sounds so stupid and like I'm talking to you on the radio. Just start your day right with a good cup of coffee. And a, let, I'm talking about this spiritually. And let me start this by saying, I am the worst morning person. I hate mornings, literally hate them. I've become a lot better since having kids because they just make you. Like, you don't want to talk, but it's like, Daddy, I'm hungry, I'm hungry. I want strawberry pop-tart, I want strawberry pop-tart. Like, they kind of make you kind of change out of that. But uh, more than that, I'll tell you how changing the beginning of my day has transformed my spiritual walk. And I'm I'm being very honest about this. Changing the first two hours of my day has changed my spiritual walk. Starting the right way, and, and, and you know, it, it's changed so much in my life, but getting my mind focused, that I have a purpose, and, and not waiting to the end of the day, and like, oh yeah, why am I having such a difficult time? Why am I so frustrated about everything? Why is everything falling apart? Why am I angry at everybody? Well, probably, like, if we would have taken just first hour, two hours, and made them a little different, like had a little different focus, maybe our whole day would be different. You've probably noticed this already. I don't have to tell you this. Like, you've noticed that how you start the day, whether it's ha- not having breakfast and you get all hangry at about 10.30 for some, why am I so angry? Like, oh, I didn't eat anything for breakfast. <laughs> like, that's, we, we've noticed these things about our own life. I mean, whatever that looks like, starting your day the right way, whether it's, you know, when you sit down with your cereal, reading, reading the scriptures, whether it's when you're in the shower, or just starting with prayer and like have a simple prayer life with the Lord and not just talking, but listening throughout the day and just allowing the Lord into your daily routine, especially early in the day, whether that's on the road every day, just listening to an encouraging message or encouraging worship, getting your mind focused on something that's not 
temporary, that's going to frustrate you all day long. When we lock into the eternal, we find such freedom in the temporary. We do. When we lock into the things that matter, we don't stress out about the things that don't matter. Like, how many of you guys would like to be less stressed about things that don't matter? Like, I'm raising my hand high. I, I do it all the time. And so, starting your day the right way, I, I, I heard a teaching that they, they used the phrasing daily habits. They called them the daily offices. Like, what are the time? Like, you have a meeting, and um, don't, don't you hate it, like, for those meetings when someone's late, right? Don't you hate it when, I mean, unless that's you, then you're like, just wait for me, I'll be there. Um, but we hate those things. So, like, really beginning, they, they call them the daily offices. Like, these are meetings with the Lord at certain places and certain times every single day. I have a designated time and a designated place to meet with the Lord. It's a focused time. And I'm not talking about being legalistic and trying to like control your spirit. That's not what I'm doing. I'm just saying something that I've been encouraged in. It's helped transform my day. Is that there's certain time and certain places in which I I sit down and I meet with the Lord. It's planned. It's on my schedule. Because many times if we don't plan it, it won't happen. How many many do you have those people like, let's get together. Like, let's do it. We'll get coffee. Ten years go by and you've never got coffee, but you say it every time you see each other. Never on your calendar. Never put it on your calendar, so it never happened. You've probably been saying the same thing about your time with the Lord. Like, oh man, I want to get better about this, but it never hit your calendar. It never had a daily habit, a daily office, daily routine. Like, start some of those habits. So that's enough about starting your day the right way. Don't wait to be used of God would be another thing of how to not miss your purpose. Like, someone's like, oh, well, I'm going to get this thing together. I'm going to get... Like, like, God wants to use you right now. Like I, and I get, like, finding the right place and the right connection and the right environment and the right place to do it. I'm, I'm all about that. Like, we're passionate about finding you a place to get connected and use the gifts that God's given you. But I'm not just talking about church stuff. I'm talking about everything. Don't wait to use the gifts. Don't, don't wait to use what the Lord's given you. And you, it's kind of the same idea. Like, oh, I'm just going to wait until I figure this out. And then the next season comes along and just continues to happen. And we ne- we're never using the gifts that God's called us to use. And so don't be... Don't wait. Like, sometimes this will lead you to that, and if you never get into this, you'll never get to that. Sometimes you find out just by trial and error, so just invest yourself in something. Um, and then uh, the third thing, and not miss your purpose, uh, it is really to don't limit the places in which you have purpose. Many times we do this, like we just think, okay, my purpose is like what I'm doing at work, or my purpose is we, we think right to oh, our neighbors, I've got to love my neighbor. Both those things are right. And we maybe sometimes we forget about the private, like the things that are in our home. Both, like all professional, public, and private life, there is purpose in it. There is purpose as a teacher, as a cop, as a mom, as a brother, there's purpose in it. Like the, the relationships that you've forgotten about and you don't think matter at all, they matter. Because you matter. Because you have purpose. And wherever you go, that purpose is going with you. So, like, you don't leave it at home. You don't check it. You don't check it in and out like a book or something. Like you're, it's constantly going with you. All these places matter. So don't be fooled into thinking they don't. The reason you feel like you have no purpose is because you're not walking like you do. The reason you don't feel like it is because you're not walking like you do. It's not a, a matter of like very specific things. It's just being in relationship with the Lord and allowing Him to use you in those places, talking to Him throughout the day. And, and I love this text because Jesus just gets into the boat. Like you don't. <laughs> If you're here, like, you probably don't have an option. Like, Jesus is just getting into your boat and saying, let's go. Take me out. Like, you think this is about me preaching to them, but I'm not just getting into your boat for them. I'm getting into the boat for you, too. And many times, even around the church, that's how we think. Like, oh, I'm, I'm getting in the boat, or Jesus is getting in my boat, so it can be about them. But 
He's getting in our boat. It's about us too. So let's continue. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, he'd talked to everybody, message over. Simon's like, great, I'm finally ready to go home. He says, no, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Master, we've worked hard all night. We can't caught anything. But because you say so, I'll let down the nets. But because you say so, I'll let down the nets. I, mean, I wonder like how many moments in our life, how many passions of our heart, purposes of our heart could be transformed with a simple phrase, because you say so. Like, and, and, and Jesus, in this, in this scenario and with Simon, Simon's going to be moving from a works mentality to an obedience mentality. I've been working hard all night long, and this may be what your spiritual life has looked like. I've been working hard all night long, and it's been about doing and getting things out, and it's never just been about obedience and love for the Lord and that the Lord is in your boat. It's not just about working with our own hands, but about obeying. He's going to be moving from this, but because you say so, I'll let down the nets. Let's continue reading, and let's, we'll track back. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. It's a lot of fish. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For he and his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. For just a second, let's stop and let's just talk about that our obedience uh, will, will take us deep and wide. There's things in your heart that, again, we, we, you're probably here because you want to go deeper in your faith. I assume that. I, I assume that all of us, you know, want to do more, have more influence in our life that we can make a, a greater impact in the world. I think we would all, all kind of want that. So the idea of deep and wide, our obedience will take us deep and wide. And I think we have to, to wrap our brains around a couple of things here. If we can go back to verse 6 for just a second. And I want to track through this. We'll, we'll come back to the notes here in just a second. For verse 6. When they'd done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. I, I get this picture of, um, of us walking out of the office. Like whatever your office is, whether that's a garage or a, you know, a studio or a classroom, whatever your offices, walking out of the office, and um, our boss yelling at us, we're walking to our car, and our boss yelling, hey, 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 come back in, I, I've got something I want to give you, yeah, you can just give it to me on Monday, man, like, just give it to me on Monday, he's like, no, 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 come back in, come, in. I really have something, you're going to love this, you really, man, I'm just busy, end of the day, I'm ready to go home, like, good, appreciate your encouraging words when I was walking out, but like, I'm going to go home, I just kind of get this picture of us walking out, and forget, and then the boss like lets you know later, like, hey, yeah, I had like a, I had a five thousand dollar bonus. The budget was due at the end of the night. I had to email it, and you know, uh, and that was the end of it. I had this excess that I needed to give away, a surplus that you know make the budget. Had to give it away tonight. I wanted to give it to you, and we went home. and We missed the five thousand dollar bonus. I get this kind of idea of this with him, and that's exactly what it's like. Peter's ready to go home, or Simon in this case. Simon Peter's ready to go home, ready for the day to be done, and, and Jesus is like, hey man, let's, let's go out a little bit deeper. Let's go out a little bit deeper and cast our net, and I think God would be telling us, like really, our, our greatest thing is, 
is not about how many fish we're going to pull up, but it's about obedience. That's our responsibility. It's not about how many fish. It's about obedience, because you say so. And the beautiful thing, and it's, it's funny how our culture works like this. Our culture, we live in a culture that's very driven by what works. This new superfood, like I've got to have it in my body. This new diet, I've got to take, I've got to do this diet. Everything that works, we want to be a part of it. This new, you know, workout exercise, whatever it is, I'm going to, whatever works, I, I'm going to follow. Our culture is very responsive to quote unquote what works. And then it changes two years later. So it's like, did it not work then? Anyway. Um, we're, we're very driven by that. You want to talk about something that works is obedience to the Lord. Like this story tells you, I could go on and on in my life uh, about how obedience just plain, it just plain works. And like we have sometimes we have trouble stepping out and, and, and saying, okay, I'm busy and I really want to go home, but Lord, if you're telling me to walk across the street, I'm going to walk across the street. And that conversation blows your mind. Like, God, I needed that conversation. <laughs> Man, that made an impact in their life. I'm telling you, I'm in South Jacksonville. Fathom Church is here because of a, if you say so, Lord, moment. We're, like, literally, I'm standing on the stage because there is a, if you say so, Lord. Like, I've never been to South Jacksonville, but if you say so, Lord. And so this, it has such deep and wide implications in our life, our, our obedience. It will take us deep and wide. And so let's talk for just a second about what casting our nets looks like on a daily basis. What does that, what does casting our nets actually look like? Well, one, I think it's just stopping and slowing down and, and responding to the Lord and like l- actually listening. Part of that starting your day kind of gets you in a place of mind to where you can engage in obedience on a daily basis. So many times we're so busy with our schedule, we're so busy with everything, that we won't just slow down and respond to the Lord and speak that word of encouragement that, God, that God's called us to speak, to, to open our eyes at the people around us and get so like less self-centered and more city-centered, more focused on our neighbors, more focused on our family. I'm not saying where we just we never focus on ourselves, never have personal development, never have personal time, but I'm saying living a life that's missional and purpose and we're walking in obedience, casting a net it's just speaking that encouraging word. It's, it's going the extra mile to serve someone. That's casting a net because what Jesus is going to get Peter to is like, hey man, you thought this was about the sermon. You thought I was just on here to preach a sermon to them. But like, man, we're starting a journey together. You're coming with me and you'll probably fish to eat, but your purpose in life is changing, man. Come with me. And he's going to call him to leave everything and leave it all behind. And again, he'd probably fish some more, but his profession, his whole mindset was changing. I'm not saying, like, change your profession, do anything like that. God's called you into that environment. There's purpose in that environment where you are right now. Um, so it's just a matter of us walking in obedience and the casting the net. It's just going maybe the extra mile, maybe slowing down and speaking that encouraging word because Jesus is turning our focus from just making the buck, you know, cashing the paycheck, turning our focus to fish for people. And that sounds like a very strange thing to do, but that's what Jesus is calling us to do in a way that um, their hearts can be captured by the love and the grace of God that we've encountered, that we've experienced. Um, and, and so this is such an impacting moment in Peter's life because there's this blessing, there's incredible blessing in walking in obedience. The obedient life is the blessed life. We all want to be blessed. 
The path to that is obedience to the Lord. That he'll unlock more fish than what we can handle in the boat. The boat was literally sinking. Like, what would it look like for you to sink your boat with too much? <laughs> and that's exactly what is here. More people. And I'm not talking about Bentleys and Rolexes. I'm, I'm talking about a blessed life. A life in which the Lord has it all and, and um, we have enough for us and for our neighbors. Uh, I, I love Peter's response here. Go away. <laughs> like, that's his response. That kind of sounds sacrilegious to us, like Peter or Simon Peter telling Jesus to go away. But it's this incredible sign of falling on his knees and humility before the Lord, honor before him, and being overwhelmed that I didn't work for this. At my own hands, it was a rough night. But when I just obeyed you, when it wasn't on my calendar, when it wasn't on my schedule, when I was tired, if I just obeyed you and said, because you said so, what it unlocked there. It's the obedient life, is the blessed life. I love that humility there. So I'm not worthy. It reveals our sin just because we realize that we're not worthy of it, but obedience to the Lord takes us places that we never thought we'd see, deeper and wider. Now let's continue these last couple of verses. And so were James and John. They were astonished, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, this is big, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll fish for people. Don't be afraid. It's not as creepy as it sounds. You're not literally fishing for people. From now on, you'll fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Left everything and followed him. Let's end today's message in this scripture, really just talking about the mission, the mission that God's called us to, that it's both deep and wide. We have an individual purpose that's, you know, it goes through our profession, our, our private life, our public life. It's in all of that. You know, but, but, and obedience is the lifestyle that God's called us to. It's not just an action, but it's a lifestyle of obedience that he's called us to. But let's talk about this great mission. That's both deep and wide. It's not choosing, are we going to be a deep church that's, you know, really locked in? It's the deep is going to propel the wide. And that's what I believe that God's calling us to here today. And I, I think what he, Jesus responds to him is that there's some fear here, like you're about to leave it all behind and step forward into the call I've given you. And he's saying, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Jesus is calling us to not be afraid in our mission today because fear will hold us back from the greatest mission of our life. It'll hold us back from the greatest mission of our life. I mean, think of if fear would have gotten in the way of the civil rights movement, if fear would have gotten in the way of Abraham Lincoln. Is that how Abraham Lincoln talks? I don't know. If it would have gotten in the way for him, if it would have gotten in the way of NASA to put a man on the moon, even if you have a, con- if you have a conspiracy theory on if that actually happened. Some of you guys do. I know you do. Um, like what fear could have stopped a lot of great missions in the world? I heard this great story uh, about this missionary. There was this islands, this group of islands that was discovered in the South Pacific um, by a man named Captain James Cook in 1606. It's about 450 miles long. It's about 80 different little islands in the South Pacific. And um, th- th- this land goes un-discovered. Kind of There's some locals, I guess, if you will, uh, some aboriginals in the area uh, and it had no Christian influence on these stretch of islands, 450 miles, um, until 1839. 1839. 
and the London Missionary Society sends two missionaries down there, and both of them are eaten, cannibal, you know, cannibalized in the first year. They're eaten first year. So, like, I don't know about for you, if I brought that to you as our church, like, hey, last people that were there got eaten, but I know it's not going to happen this time. Like, really said, who's ready to go? Like, <laughs> like no, nah, I'm going to pass. Lord told me, told me not to go, you know. Or Ebola, or the cartels, like, you name it, that stuff's all over the world. But there's people that haven't been reached by the cause of Christ. So the London Missionary Society, uh, a few years later in 1842, sends another team of people there. Like, we'll send more people this time. Well, this time, luckily, they were not eaten alive. They, they were actually, you know, just driven off of the island, so we're making progress. Six years later, in 1848, uh, a, a guy goes there by the name of John Getty, and um, he's from Nova Scotia, and he saw, started seeing some fruit in his labor, and another guy, James Harris or something like that, from Scotland comes, and uh, two years later, they start seeing some real impact, some real fruit for, in their ministry, in their missional outreach to this 450 miles of unreached people group that ate people a few years ago, that ran other people off. We're talking about people who left everything, packed up, and went. We're not just talking about going across the street. We're talking about leaving everything, committing your life to this, like pouring it out. And in, in the next, I think, few years, in the next like six years, like half of the population, 3,500 people, would come to know Christ through them going there because they weren't afraid. Like, I don't know about you, I would have been afraid and maybe you are today about something God's calling you to do. I don't know what you're afraid of. But I know God's got a great mission in front of us. A great harvest field. A great life of purpose that's deep. A life of mission that's wide. It's not one or the other, it's both. One's going to propel the other. The story doesn't end there, but the 3,500 turn into, by, I think it's 40 years later, the entire population was considered Christian, and they left their cannibalism behind, amen to that, and gave their hearts to the Lord. An entire population of people, probably seven, 8,000 people, that left this like, savage lifestyle behind. It's completely transformational for us when we give our heart to the Lord, when we allow the purpose of God to not be limited to small areas of our life, of, in our obedience to not be limited to just the things that are comfortable, not just to be limited to the things that we've done before, but even to uncharted territory, to leave the boats behind and follow Jesus. So as us, as a church, I, I want us to be the place, I want us to be a place in which our, our depth of theology doesn't drive us into a closet in which we don't change the city through the power of God. I wanted it to propel us into the fields, into the cities. You have a purpose. Every single one of us are called to live a life of obedience. Don't let fear keep you from what is before us. I don't know what that looks like for you. I don't know what you're afraid of today whether it's failure, whether it's loneliness, whether it's the supply will run out, 
I don't know what God's calling you to even. Who he's calling you to. But I know that the obedient life is the blessed life. And if all those fears that you have, a good way to swallow those is just to say they're probably going to happen. There are going to be days when the supply is low. There are going to be days when I'm lonely. There are going to be days where I can't get over this fear and I'm trapped in my closet. You just look the fear in the face, call it what it is, it's going to happen. But then we get up, what's the old John Wayne quote, you know? Fear is being scared, but saddling up anyway. Knowing that there are going to be days you fail, but it doesn't stop you from going forward. I don't think you have to worry about the cannibalism thing. I think you're going to be okay. But I know the Lord's called us to something. I don't know what it is for you. I know what it is for all of us. To be obedient, to live the life of obedience, to go deeper, that we may go wider. That we would just say, if you say so, Lord. I mean, how many of us love to wait until we understand it all? But I'm praying today we'll be encouraged to just live a life that's because you say so, Lord. I want to be obedient and it unlocks the blessing that he's given us. Why don't you stand with me today?